Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Let's pray, hey? Father God, I wanna say thank You so much that uh, Your Spirit is here. We don't need to ask for that to happen because You go with Your people. And so God, I know that so many of the men and women in this room are walking with You and their life has been given over to You. And so God, I thank You for the feeling in the room that says God is here. And God, I thank You so much for Your Word, this incredible, powerful source that we have that leads us and guides us and inspires us and challenges us and encourages us. And tonight, God, I pray as we open it, it would be in a way that we worship You, that as we're challenged by it, as we're encouraged by it, God, as we, as we sink into it and get our teeth around it, I pray that we would be singing worship songs to You as we think through how we can apply this to our lives. God, we thank You that we have access to such a powerful tool. And I pray as I bring this Word tonight, God, that there would be far less of me and far more of You as we do this together. So God, bless us as we do open Your Word this tonight. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Have you ever thought about who would play you in a movie about you? It's okay if you have, don't be ashamed. I certainly have. Lots of people tell me I look like Renee Zellweger, right? So I think she would, do you all know who Renee Zellweger is? I'm afraid to explain who she is because the very first image that comes to mind is Bridget Jones, right? And I don't know if I'm okay with that, but I think if you have a look at her in different movies where she's you know, not wearing bunny ears and stuff, that I think I sort of look a little bit like Renee Zellweger. So if there was a movie about my life, I think Renee Zellweger would play me. And I know not, lots of you haven't met my husband, but he is a dead ringer for Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> that was a bit too much laughter, if I'm being honest. Okay, if he worked out a bit more, if he grew a bit more hair, Um, if he shaved just once even, um, sure, he might look, if you squinted, a little bit like Chris Hemsworth. Maybe if you had a picture of Chris Hemsworth in front of him. Anyway, the point is, if you had a movie about yourself, do you know who would play you? Do you know what scenes would, uh, would play out? Which scenes of your life story would you choose to put on display? You know, what moments would there be of, of tension, of conflict, of romance, of heartbreak? What would be the moments that you choose to have in your life story if it were a movie? And uh, an important question that we don't think about is what would the soundtrack play behind? You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you go, to, when you go and see a movie, there's a soundtrack, there's a score, and it actually has more power than you think. You know, the soundtrack of a movie tells us how to interact with the story. You know, sure, the actors are there, the characters are there, the storyline is there, the plot's there, but actually there's this soundtrack going on in the background that you might not even be aware is happening and it's informing you about how the story is playing out. It's informing you how you are to feel, how you are to feel about the characters, about the plot, about everything that's happening. You know, it's, it's the soundtrack that plays when you're supposed to sit on the edge of your seat and just be so on edge about who is behind the door. You know, it's the, it's the soundtrack that plays when you're about to find out who did it. You know, it's the soundtrack that plays when Jack and Rose 
stand at the front of a boat and fall in love. I've got a clip of it here. Most romantic movie of my lifetime, 1996 this came out. It's still the most romantic movie of all time. If you haven't seen it, put aside five and a half hours this week. It's a great, great story. And if you listen to the music, it tells you how to feel. It's telling us something amazing is happening between these two characters. They're falling in love. Do you feel a little bit in love with Jack and Rose right now? I do. The music is powerful. All right, stop that because it's distracting. Focus on me. The music in a movie informs you how to feel. The story, if you take down the Jack and the Rose in the plot, the soundtrack is powerful. And often we sit in movie theatres and we don't even know that the soundtrack is informing us of how to interact with the story. It's informing us how to feel about characters. You know, it's why soundtracks and scores win Oscars because it's such a vital part of how the story plays out. Without any music, we wouldn't have the same feeling. We wouldn't feel the same way about how the story unfolds. And what I wanna put to you tonight is this. I think that there is a soundtrack playing behind your life, behind your story, and you might not even be aware of what it is. I think we all have a soundtrack that's playing in the back of our mind, at the depths of our soul, somewhere behind us, and it's informing us how we live out our life, how we interact with people, how we interact with God, how we interact with our purpose, with our future, with our day-to-day life. You know, if I had to tell you what my soundtrack was playing, I think it would be this, not good enough. You know, maybe because I'm a child of the 80s, I think about this in terms of cassette tapes. But cassette tapes, I, I almost picture this cassette tape in the back of my mind and over and over and over again, it's playing these words. Not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. It's something I've really felt my whole life is true about me. I don't actually feel like I'm very good at anything. You know, growing up, I didn't excel in anything. I wasn't athletic, I wasn't academic, I I wasn't creative, I couldn't sing, I couldn't play a musical instrument. I I wasn't really good at anything. Even in my family, I, I look back at my childhood and even though I was loved and supported, I can't remember a time that anyone ever said to me, you're good at that, Kath. In fact, it became a bit of a family joke. And it wasn't meant to be cruel, but It wasn't meant to be cruel, but my family sort of joked about this idea that Kath's not really good at anything. She doesn't excel at anything. And this soundtrack has been playing in the back of my story, in the back of my life, in the back of my mind, in the depths of my soul, my whole life. You're not good enough. You're not good at anything. And it's really affected the way I've lived my life. It's really affected the way that I have handled relationships how I've handled jobs, how I've handled decisions. You know, it's pushed me into a bit of a performance mentality where if I'm not good at anything, then I just need to try harder. 
I just need to work harder. I just need to keep performing and make sure people notice me so that I am good enough. It's pushed me into an unhealthy need for affirmation. I desperately seek people telling me I'm good enough. It's pushed me into a space where I can't even hear compliments. As soon as somebody says, hey, Kath, you did a good job, I immediately turn that through the filter of you're not good enough and think they're just being nice. They're actually saying I wasn't good enough and they're trying to fill the space by making me feel better. It's been the soundtrack that's played over and over and over and over and over again through my whole life. At one point, I became totally obsessed with my outward appearance because maybe I could have some control over that and I could be good enough there. But every time I tried, every place I've turned, that soundtrack just keeps playing louder and louder and louder and louder. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. So as you hear my story, what's your soundtrack saying? As you hear what I'm saying, what does the cassette tape say in the back of your mind? Turn down the players, turn down the storyline. What do you hear? You're not good enough. You will never change. You're nothing. You're a victim. You're worthless. You're a nobody. You're not enough. What is it for you? And how has that soundtrack impacted your life? How has it impacted the relationships you've had? How has it impacted the jobs you've had? How has it impacted the decisions you've made? How has it impacted the way you see your future? What is it for you? Would you like an alternative? Me too. So we're in this series called Amazing Grace where we're unpacking the, uh, the letter to the Galatians written by Paul. And I think tonight, uh, it's really important to note something about the people of Galatia. And that is this, that they, they weren't a Jewish culture, they were a Greek Roman culture and they had received salvation. They'd heard the, the, the life-changing message of Jesus and they were Christians. And Paul writes this letter to a group of Christians. And you see, I think that's important because if you're a Christian here tonight, I think often we get confused when we think about grace. And we think that grace starts and stops at salvation. We think that's where grace is applied. And it's true. You know, we, we, we receive this completely undeserved forgiveness through the grace of God. And that's what happens at salvation. But what Paul says as he unpacks grace with the people of Galatia is that it's far more powerful than that. Grace is something that we walk through life under. Grace is something that is a powerful tool in our Christian walk. It's something that belongs to us forever. And the people of Galatia, they were saved. They kind of had that moment of salvation, but they were still trying to do all these religious things. They were still in this performance mentality of we've got to earn this salvation. We've got to earn our way to heaven. We've got to earn, 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 earn. And Paul comes along and he says, no guys, that's not what this is about. Grace 
doesn't start and stop with salvation. It continues to be powerful throughout your walk, throughout your life, forever. And what I wanna say tonight is this, that grace has the power to change your identity. Grace has the power to completely flip the switch on your identity to turn the cassette tape over to side B. I know some of you are struggling with that, but that's what you do with with cassette tapes. By the end you get to the end, then you turn it over and there's a side B. You don't get that on your iPod. (laughs) So Galatians 4, if you're still with me, says this. When the time was right, which means when God was ready, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Now this is actually a huge thing. This means that through Christ, God did something for everybody who was born under the law. That's you, that's me, that's Jews, that's Gentiles, that's religious people, that's non-religious people, that at the right time, when God knew it was the right time, He sent His Son to redeem. And this word redeem is a real transactional word. It's kind of, it's sort of, it's very transactional. It literally means to buy back. So it's like this sense of, of transaction that's something for something. That's what this word redeem means. And that was a powerful word in this culture. And so Paul chooses it, chooses it intentionally. He's redeeming those under the law. It's to reattach something that has been unattached, to rejoin something that has been separated. At the right time, God sent His Son into the world to redeem or buy back those who were under the law, under the law, meaning understanding that break between creation and creator. But this word redeem, Paul decides it's just too corporate. It's too transactional. He doesn't like it. It's not relational enough. And so he goes on and he says this, which is a powerful, powerful statement to the people of Galatia and to you and me tonight. This is what he says. In order that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now he chooses these words very, very intentionally very intentionally, because this word redeemed, they understood. They understood this transaction that had taken place. And Paul says, that's fine, that's good, but it's far more relational than that. It's far more relational than that. He says, you haven't just had this transaction happen, you haven't just been bought back by God, but in fact, He has adopted you to be His sons and His daughters. Paul says that God didn't just send Jesus into the world to pay the way for our sins. He didn't just send His Son so we would have access to the gates of heaven and live our lives out for that. The goal wasn't simply to say, okay, well now things are right between you and God. He says, it's way, way bigger than that. What God did when He sent His Son into the world was make it possible for you and for me to be, and Paul chooses this word very intentionally, adopted to sonship. Now the Jewish people had no word for adoption. There is no process of adoption in the Jewish culture. But the Greek Roman world that the Galatians were in had a very good word for adoption. This was a powerful thing that they knew about. But when we think adoption, we think babies, right? But for the people of Galatia, they did not think babies. Because in in the first century, babies were a really bad investment. Because in the first century, babies just died. You know, people wouldn't even name their babies until they kind of knew that this one was gonna survive. And so no one adopted babies, that wasn't really a thing. 
But what was a very well-known and a very well-practiced process was the adoption of adults. You know, it wasn't uncommon for somebody who had no family, who had no heir, who had no inheritance, who had nothing going for them to receive a letter in the mail that said, congratulations, you've been adopted. You know, to carry on a family line, to carry on a family business, to hand your inheritance to somebody that you could have control over, you would very often adopt an adult. And Paul chooses this word very carefully to say to the people of Galatia and the people in this place tonight, God is adopting you as an adult. God who has seen your past, who knows your story, who knows who you are, who knows everything that you've done, everything you're proud of and everything that you never want anyone to ever know. God has adopted you to be His sons and to be His daughters. Paul says it's far more relational than just this transaction that happens at salvation. It's not just you're forgiven. It's not just now you can go to heaven when you die. It is those things, but it's not just those things. Paul says, no, it's, it's, it's far more relational than that. You have become a child of your creator. That creation, creator relationship that was broken, in Christ, it's been restored. And then he says this in verse six. Because you are his sons and daughters, because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now this is super powerful because Paul, speaking to a Greek audience, dips into the Aramaic language and chooses this word Abba. And if you flick back a few pages and find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's put to death, you will find Jesus on his knees crying literal tears of blood and he cries out to his Father in heaven and what does he call him? Abba. And Paul very intentionally uses this word to describe the relationship between us and God under grace. This word Abba you know, it translates into the Greek as father. And so Paul's like, that's not enough, it's too formal. And so he uses his Aramaic word, Abba, because it literally translates into English like this. And I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this, but it really translates into daddy. And I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit uncomfortable calling God daddy, that seems a bit wrong, but Paul says that is how I would define the relationship between you and God now. You cry out to a God who you would call Because under grace, we are adopted into a family where God in heaven is our dad and we are his little girls and his little boys. That's the family that we're a part of. Paul says it's not just this transaction that happens, it's a relationship connection. We've been adopted into this family. We are heirs of this inheritance. You see, grace has the power to change your identity. Because while your soundtrack is playing in the back of your mind, over your story, over your life, what is God in heaven saying, thinking? What does He think about that soundtrack that's playing over your life? You see, when I understood this, when I understood 
that I was a part of a family and my identity was defined by this relationship with God, I was able to turn that cassette tape over to side B. And on side B, do you know what it says? It says child of God. You see, my identity through grace, through the power of Jesus, through my relationship with my heavenly Father is that I am a child of God. Not good enough? How could I possibly be not good enough when I am a child of God? Can't do that? How is that possibly true when I am a child of God? You see, when I understood this, I was given the most important, powerful tool of my story so far. I flipped that cassette tape over in the back of my mind and started to walk through life with the understanding, with the deep knowledge that I am a child of God. And that is the power of grace. The power of grace is one that can change your entire identity. It can change your entire soundtrack so that the way you walk through life, the way that you interact with relationships, with work, with decisions, with opportunities, with success, with failures, with your future, with your purpose, is this, you walk in the knowledge that I am a child of God. It changes everything. And tonight I wanna share with you a story of an interaction, of an encounter with Jesus, where Jesus did this exact thing. So if you're still with me, turn with me to Luke chapter eight, where we're gonna go tonight. From verse 42, it says this. And Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So we're, we're kind of jumping right in the middle of a story here. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have met a man named Jarius, who is the, the leader of the synagogue. He's kind of the key religious guy in this town. And Jarius comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, Jesus, my little girl, she's 12 years old and she's dying. Would you come and heal her? Would you come and bring her back to life? And Jesus is on his way with his disciples to see Jarius, to see Jarius and his family and his little girl. And as they're walking down the cobblestone paths to get to Jarius' house, the crowd is immense. You know, we've got seven chapters before this that tell us all these stories of these miraculous things that Jesus has done so far. And people have started to hear about what's happening. So people are starting to gather. A crowd is going everywhere that Jesus goes. And so the Bible says this crowd is all over Jesus. And Jesus and His disciples are making their way down the path. And there's people everywhere. And if this was a movie, then the lens would stop on a woman in the crowd. Up to this point, no one knows who she is and no one really cares. But the lens of Scripture tells us she's important. And then verse 43. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. (laughs) I love Peter. Thanks, Captain Obvious. You know, we know so far that Jesus has done miraculous things. You know, the people have heard, the stories are out. You know, there's guys running around with tank tops on, showing off their leprosy healed skin. 
You know, there's a demon-possessed guy who's living a full and, and purposeful life. There's a paraplegic who's training for a marathon. You know, there's blind beggars who can now see. People have heard these stories. And when, they, when you hear that this guy, this spiritual heavyweight who's doing all these things is in your town, in your street, even in a town close to your town, you are hot-footing it over there to see if you can catch a glimpse of this guy. You know, people are holding up their babies and they're sick and they're diseased and they're dying people and saying, just touch them. You know, people are touching Jesus' head and trying to shake His hand. And then right in the middle of this procession as they're going towards Jarius' house, Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And everyone kind of stops. They're so crowded in. It's kind of like bump, 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 And everyone stops. Jesus says, who touched me? And Peter who can't stand the silence when no one answers, says, "Uh, Jesus, we're in a crowd. There's like 40 people touching me right now. You're the Messiah. Everyone has touched you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Someone has touched me. They know who they are and I know who they are. And we're not going anywhere until this is settled. In verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Power has gone out of him. What? Jesus knew that that someone touched his cloak and he knew that power had gone out of him. Does this happen every time Jesus heals someone? I, I don't know. You know, is this the first time this has happened? I don't know. Has something big happened here? I think so. Well, we don't really know if this is a thing that happens every single time that Jesus heals someone, every time Jesus releases power over something. We don't know. But what we do know is this. For 12 years, this woman has been bleeding. She's never wanted to make it public. It's been private. And she's just come up and she's just lightly touched the edge of his jacket. When people are, all over him, crowding all over him. She finds an opening. She just touches him. And in that moment, she knows instantly the bleeding stopped. She's healed. And as she sort of turns to walk away, trying to figure out what just happened, Jesus stops and says, who touched me? To her horror and amazement, Everyone stops and Jesus says, someone touch me. For 12 years, this woman has been walking through life with a pretty loud soundtrack, a pretty clear soundtrack playing in the background of her life. And the music, the lyrics, they come directly from Leviticus 16, which everyone in this town knows by heart and takes very seriously. You know, have you ever read the Bible in a year and got into the book of Leviticus, like the rule book, and started to read it and gone, "Mm, skip? Have you done that? That's okay if you have, we all have. Or have you started to read it because you're a good Christian and then you started to read the rules and you've been like shellfish, um, like bleeding, uh, who marries my wife when I die? I don't understand this. Stupid, 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 stupid. You know, have you ever done that? Read the book of Leviticus? Well, it turns out that it wasn't that stupid. You see, God, the creator of germs, 
He knew some things. And so He gives the laws to the people of Israel in a way that will safeguard them, in ways they don't understand, that science will pick up and unravel thousands of years later and they'll discover that germs are powerful and there's so much power in blood. And you know, I don't wanna make you uncomfortable tonight, but Leviticus 16 is all about when women bleed. You know, I know some of you are like a bit uncomfortable in your seat. You can write your complaints to andrewsircom at gateway.com. <laughs> but this is the Bible. So before you write your connect card, this is the Bible. So you've got to start that complaint with, dear God, I don't like your story. And see how you go after that. You see, in Leviticus 16, God outlines how to handle a woman who's bleeding. And in there are a whole bunch of laws that should only apply for one week. But this woman, she's been bleeding for 12 years. It hasn't stopped. And as we start to hear her story, shockwaves through the crowd. They must be devastating. You know, she's already fallen down on the ground. She's trembling in fear. She's sobbing. And now she has to tell the truth. She's spent every cent she has on doctor after doctor after doctor. Can you imagine what this woman has put herself through in first century medicine? She's tried everything and instead of getting better, she's just gotten worse. The torture that this woman has lived for 12 years. Then she hears about this guy who's given sight back to blind people, who's making paraplegics walk, who's healing people everywhere he goes. And she thinks if I can just get close enough, if I can just reach out and touch just even his clothing, surely I can be healed. I can be set free from this. Do you see where she's been for 12 years? Do you see what her soundtrack has been playing? Any place she's ever been, any place she's ever sat is unclean. Anyone she's ever touched, she's made them unclean. Jewish culture would mean if she had a husband, he would have divorced her when the bleeding didn't stop. She's never taken part in any religious ceremony. She's never joined in any social gathering. She's avoided people in case she accidentally touches someone. She's been totally isolated, religiously, socially, sexually, and physically. For 12 years, for 12 years, she's lost all dignity, all value. She's nothing. And I don't know what the crowd is saying, what they're whispering, what they're thinking as her story comes out. She must have touched a whole lot of people in that crowd. She's brought her filth into the city. And I don't know what the people are thinking, what they're saying, but I bet I know some of the words. And I bet that that soundtrack is playing louder 
and louder and louder and louder as the minutes go on. Unclean, 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 unclean. Unworthy, unlovable, uninvited, untouchable, unclean, unclean, unclean. And then in verse 48, Jesus says this. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter, did you catch that? Out of all the words this woman expected to hear, out of all the words the crowd expected to hear, right over the top of what they're whispering, what they're thinking, what they're saying to one another. One word in one moment speaks over this woman's identity, over her past, over her present, over her future. It reaches into the depths of her soul, the depths of who she is, and completely turns that cassette tape over to side B. Daughter. Daughter. In one moment, with one word, Jesus silences that crowd. He calls her daughter. He says, this is my little girl. You mess with her, you mess with me. He completely changes her identity through healing and through the use of this word daughter. You are my daughter. You are my child. You see, grace has the power to change your identity. Grace has the power to turn that cassette tape over to side B. Whatever you're walking through, whatever you believe about yourself, whatever history has told you, whatever words have been spoken over your life that you have been carrying with you, that have been impacting the way that you live your life, that you make decisions, that you do relationships, that you view God, that you view your purpose, that you view your future. They can all be changed in a moment by believing that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You have been adopted into the greatest family there has ever been and ever will be. You are a son, you are a daughter, you are a brother, you are a sister of the greatest family that there has ever been. And you will find your purpose. You will find your identity in that family. You see, grace has the power to change your identity. Grace didn't stop when you were saved. Grace continues to change the soundtrack. Grace continues to allow you to understand the story better. Grace has the power to change who you are and who you believe you are. Grace has the power to silence the crowd, to speak over the top of that soundtrack that's in the back of your mind and say, you are a child of God. You see, when I turned that cassette tape over, I had the power to change what I believed about myself. Could I take that opportunity? Why not? I'm a child of God. Could I do that? Yes, because I am a child of God. Am I good enough? Heck yeah. You know why? Because I am a child of God. I will walk in that identity and I will be successful and I will have failures and I will stuff up and I will do all things that I shouldn't do, but I will remain 100% until the day I die, a child 
of God. I will use and choose to place my identity, to place my belief in the understanding that I am a child of God. That's the power of grace. That's the power of Jesus. You are a son, a daughter of the Lord God Most High. And He has the power to change that soundtrack. What's your soundtrack playing? What do you believe about yourself? What would God say? How would your life change? How would your relationships change? How would your need for affirmation, your need for whatever it is, change if you just believed that your identity is in the fact that you are a child of God. Imagine what you could do. Imagine how your confidence would shift. Imagine how much more weight would be in your yeses and your noes. of I'm not good enough. Sometimes I'll be driving along in my car and I just get all self-pity party going on. I'm just not good enough. And there's something in the back of my mind where I just flip that cassette tape over. And I say, no, no, no. I am a child of God. And I play that soundtrack over my situation, over my story, over my future. right now and you were hoping I wouldn't bring this up but I want to give you an opportunity tonight to say yes to God to say yes to becoming a Christian you know maybe you're here tonight and you've been walking away from the Lord you made that decision a long time ago and for whatever reason you've walked away from that relationship with God and you've been living life on your own terms and you've come here tonight and you just know it's time to turn back to God it's time to call him your heavenly father to call yourself a Christian and live your life out in that space And I wanna give you an opportunity tonight as well to say yes to God. So I'm gonna get everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And if you're here tonight, while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, and you know that tonight is your night, you wanna put your faith in Jesus, you wanna call yourself a Christian, you wanna say, I'm a part of that family. I just wanna encourage you to put your hand up nice and high so I can see it. That's you tonight. You just wanna say yes to God. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time after a long time. 
I just want to encourage you to put your hand up nice and high so I can see it while every eye is closed. I see that hand over there. That's fantastic. While every eye is closed and every head is bowed, would you put your hand up nice and high so I can see it? Put your hand up nice and high. That's you. I see that hand there too. That's wonderful. That's great. Last chance. If this is you tonight, you just want to put your hand up and say, yes, I'm in. I want to be a part of that family. I want to call myself a Christian. I want to walk my life in a way that God would have me do it. I just encourage you to put your hand up nice and high. Okay, that's cool. I'm going to pray with these people. So we're going to stay in this place of eyes closed and heads bowed. And if you're, you can put your hands down now, but as, um, as I pray, I'm going to leave a gap after a sentence and I want you to say it. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just something we do um, as a decision-making tool. I'm gonna leave a gap after sentences and I encourage you to, to speak it out in your heart and your spirit or out loud if that's what you need to do. But let's do that together. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done for me. I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. I'm sorry for the sin that's a part of me. I'm so grateful that You have set me free. I'm so grateful that You have taken my sin. And now I'm a Christian. So Lord, please help me to live a life that walks with You and honours You. for those couple of people. That's amazing. Best decision that anyone made tonight. Even better than Courtney and Luke. Hey, would you stand with me? I wonder tonight if you're here and that soundtrack has been playing pretty loudly over your life. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's you're not good enough. Maybe it's you'll never change. Maybe it's you're not worthy. Maybe it's you're nothing, whatever it is. And I don't know how it got there. Probably through a whole bunch of things. But tonight I believe God wants to set you free of that. I believe that His Spirit is here and ready to do a great work in your life. And so I wanna encourage you tonight, if you just wanna make a statement that you are gonna turn that cassette tape over to side B, and play the lyric, I am a child of God, over your story, over your life. The guys are going to play and I want to encourage you to come down the front. You know, there's nothing magical about coming down the front. It's just you saying the statement, I want to change. It's just you saying, I want to flip the switch on that. I want to walk differently. I want to, I want to talk differently. I want to relate to people differently. I want a different kind of relationship with God. If that's you tonight, there's nothing magical about what happens down the front, but I want to encourage you to make that statement amongst people who love you. And I want you to come down the front and the prayer team's going to be here. You can bring people with you if that makes you feel more comfortable. But come down the front and make the statement that you are going to turn that cassette tape over to side B. Because you are a child of God. That soundtrack is going to play way louder over your life. And I believe there are people here tonight who need that transformation. They walked in those doors one way and they're going to walk out a different way. And so I, I, I'd love you just to come down the front as a statement to say, God, I am a child.
hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.